be coming back to that. I'm going to have you look at a couple other different passages. We may need another bookmark because we're going to look around a little bit this morning. So the first thing that we see in James chapter 4, verse number 13, 14, and 15, and we read those already, but the tendency to make plans without God. That's the tendency that we need to avoid in our life. The tendency to make plans without God. James visualized people making plans. Plans for today, plans for tomorrow, plans for now, plans for next week, plans for travel, plans for trade. He talks about this. Everybody, you're making plans to go overseas. Today or tomorrow, we'll go into such a city and continue there here and buy and sell and get gain. But as far as we can tell, they're legitimate plans. And the kind of the kind of plans that we all make at times, the kind of plans that any businessman needs to make if he's going to prosper. The problem that James underlines is simple. And believe it or not, it's a very common problem that he's underlining here, but it's a very serious problem. These plans were made without any reference to God. Now, James is not saying, don't make plans. Who in the world makes plans? He's saying, hang on, hang on. You don't know what your life is going to be. And you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that, right? And so the point that he's making here is, don't make plans without God. Don't make plans without including God in those plans. Let me call your attention to the parable of the rich man in Luke chapter 12. Turn over there with me, if you will. Again, another passage that's pretty familiar to you. <coughs> but Luke chapter 12, and we pick up this parable in verse number 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruit. Verse number 18. And he said, this will I do. I'll pour out my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Now, he's not saying that it's wrong to lay up treasures. Right. But he's saying it's wrong to lay up treasures and not be rich toward the things of God. In other words, it's wrong to focus on all the things in this life and not focus on things in the next life, in eternity. Let me tell you a couple of mistakes that this man made. The first thing is that he mistook his bank account for his Bible. Right. He judged his success by what he read in his bank book rather than by what he read in the Bible. He was looking at everything strictly physically. I'm wealthy, I'm successful, I'm profitable, I'm prosperous. Because look at all the stuff I have. In fact, my barns aren't even big enough for all the stuff that I have. I'm going to pull those things down, I'm going to build bigger ones, and I'm just going to take my knees, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to live life, I'm going to love life. He was judging his success by his bankroll. Excuse me, what's Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. <coughs> Deuteronomy chapter 8. Turn on this with me. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse number 8. The Bible says this. Beware, thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest, when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Get down to verse number 17. And thou say in thy heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But 
thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to give wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swears to thy fathers, as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day, that ye shall surely perish. I think that's exactly what God was pointing out to this rich man. He wasn't getting on this man for being rich. Obviously, God blesses us. God gives us the things that we have. Right. He was he was getting on this man because this man was making plans and completely forgot God. And he made money and things and, and that wealth and that merriment. He made that his God. God said very clearly in verse number 19, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. No doubt this rich man attributed his success to his skill as a farmer. To his, to his ability to handle his estate. It never occurred to him to give that glory to God. He was rich, but he was not rich toward God. Let me give you another thing that he did, and you can turn back over to Luke chapter 12, and you get the thing in there in verse number 19. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much good, laid up for many years, take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. See, he mistook his body for his soul. He mistook his body for his soul. He speaks to his soul as if it were his body. A soul has no use for barns. A soul has no use for money. He failed to discern between his physical, material part and his soul. Look at verse number 19. <coughs> Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. Thou hast much good laid up for many years. He mistook time for eternity. He mistook time for eternity. He thought he had plenty of time to live. He made plans to spend those years in pleasure. He made time to spend those years in self-indulgence. As a matter of fact, he was going to be dead by morning. He didn't even know that. No wonder Jesus called him foolish. But James addresses people with similar ideas. They have elaborate plans for the future, but they leave God out of those plans. The Bible says in Psalm 14, in verse number 1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that do it good. There's one thing that's certain. If you make plans for eternity without Christ, if you make no plans for eternity at all, you will spend an eternity in hell. Some say they want to go to hell and party with their friends. There is no partying in hell. I've heard plenty of people say that before. When we're out knocking on doors and talking to somebody, well, all my friends are there. It's going to be a great party. It's going to be a great reunion. We're going to drink and we're going to have fun. We're going to do all this stuff. No, there's no partying in hell. There's no fun, there's no games, there's no enjoyment, there's no friends in hell. Don't feel like they'll go for a short time and their sins are going to be burned off. And I'll tell you this, there are no exit signs in hell. There are no fire escapes in hell. It's, it's there for eternity. There's a tendency to make plans without God, but also number two, and you go back to James chapter number four. Verse number 14 is the tendency to forget that life is unpredictable. Life is unpredictable. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. James points out two factors in this question. The first one is the factor of our hidden future. He says at the beginning, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. How many of you know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow? You might think, I'm going to work, I'm going to go do this, but you don't even know if you're going to make it tomorrow. What's going to happen while you're at work tomorrow? What's going to happen when you're driving there tomorrow? Have any idea? No, because the future is hidden to us. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. God's thrown a veil between today and tomorrow. And that's why he says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Almost so 
are so technologically advanced. We have all of this stuff planned out. And you don't even know what's going to happen in the next thousand years. In the timeline of eternity and in the, in the realm of eternity, we don't know a whole lot. Right? Which is why it's so important that we don't make plans without God, but that we don't forget that life is unpredictable. So many people plan for the future, but if they thought for the future, they have to thought for the future. Right? But only God actually knows the future. I think I mentioned this to you before, but some years ago, a considerable amount of commotion was stirred up when a, when a guy by the name of Edgar Wisnett wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Come in 88. 1988, by the way. And uh, obviously that's well past. He wrote this book about 88 reasons why Jesus Christ is going to come back. And he had a lot of faulty you know, verses that he used and a lot of, a lot of false premises and everything else. But he established, obviously, 88 facts of why Jesus Christ is going to come back in September 12th of 1988. September 12th, 1988 was Jewish New Year. He had that a little bit by saying, well, it might be the day before or the day after. Oh, what a nice, nice thing for him to do. Give himself 48 hours. Right? 88, uh, 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come back on September 12th, 
We have to always consider the uncertainty of life. Psalm 90, verse number five. You can turn there if you want to, if you don't have to. But he says, Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep. In the morning, they're like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it's cut down and withered. Verse number nine, for all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are three score and ten. And if by reason of strength they be four score, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off as we fly away. Sinner had a dream. He saw himself clinging to a rope that was suspended over a river. As he ventured out onto that rope to escape from a tiger that was chasing him, he looked down and he could see a crocodile that was lurking in the river below him. And he thought, well, at least for the moment I'm safe. And then he looked up and there was a rat gnawing on that rope that he was hanging from. The rope was his present situation, offering him a little bit of a temporary reprieve from that tiger that was his past. And that crocodile in the river was his future. And there, Gnawing at that rope is current. It just keeps gnawing and gnawing and gnawing. Don't forget that life is unpredictable. We, we all arrive on earth with a figurative hourglass over our head. And the stand in that hourglass is continually filling, filling, filling into the bottle. You can't see it, but God can. The stand runs down day and night, relentlessly. Continually, our moments speed by, and we don't know how much time is left in that time. All we know is that it was less, it's less now than it was an hour ago. Ours is a transient life, it's a vapor in thin air. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. An old Arabic fable says that a merchant in Baghdad sent one of his servants to the market to, to grab some things for him from the market. Before long, the, the servant returned, his face was white as a sheep. He was trembling. And of course, in great agitation, he came to his master and he said, when I was walking down the market, down in the market, I was jostled by a man in the crowd. When I turned around to see who had bumped into me, it was death that had jostled me. He looked at me and he made a threatening sign. Please, he said to his master, please lend me a horse so that I can go to Samara and hide there so death can't find me. The merchant loaned the horse and the servant galloped away as fast as he could make that horse go. Later on, the merchant went to the marketplace himself. And there he saw death wandering around in the marketplace. And he decided to approach him and ask him, Why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make a threatening sign toward my servant? And death said, That, that wasn't a threatening sign. I was startled. I was surprised. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad because I had an appointment tonight. Every one of us has an appointment this morning. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You're unsaved, you're living your life as if nothing is wrong with hell. It'd be your home in a heartbeat. Don't go away from one without knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. You never know which moment to be alive. You're not ready to live, but you're ready to die. The tendency to make plans without God. But the tendency to forget that life is unpredictable. Go back in James chapter 4, verse number 16. He says, But now you rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. 
the dependency to boast in our plans. Boasting in what you can do. Your reliance on your own skill. You form your plans for the future as if it's promised to you and as if there's no chance of failure. Founded on a wrong view of ourselves and of what may actually happen. It shows that we have a forgetfulness of our dependence on God. Forgetfulness of the uncertainty of life. Forgetful of the ways by which the best laid plans can be defeated. God says to do that is evil. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what thou knowest. Tendency to make plans without God. Tendency to forget that life is unpredictable. And tendency to boast in our plans. And lastly, the tendency to refuse God's will. In James chapter 4 and verse 17, he says this. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not. To him it is sin. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. The word sin translated means to miss the mark. The Greek writers used that word in three ways. They used it in a physical dimension. It's like the picture of an archer who shoots an arrow toward a, toward a target and misses the, the bullseye. If they use that word in a mental dimension. The picture of a student who sits down to take a test and misses the answer to that question. And then they use that same word in the spiritual dimension, the picture of a man who knows a certain standard but falls short of that standard. And that's what the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The will of God is that all should come to to repentance. What's God's will for my life? I don't know what to do. The will of God is that all should come to repentance. When we think of sin, we often think of, of sins of commission. Things that we do that are wrong. Well, I did this, I sinned. Well, I did that, I sinned. Right? But according to James, our real problem is not in what we do, it's in what we don't do. The sins of omission. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him is sin. That's a sin of omission. Something that we should be doing that we don't. Those who know what they ought to do willfully refuse to do it. Our people will forsake the priorities. Your bullets turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. He says this, For it has been better for them to not it would have better had, it has been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known turn from holy commission to the what a conversation to go to the first gospel. And those who have heard the gospel over and over and over and over. He said, it's better for you to have never heard the way to Jesus Christ than for you to have heard the way to Jesus Christ and to refuse it, to reject it. None of us is going to be perfect, but once we know what's right to do, the responsibility lies at our feet to do it. Whether that's for salvation or whether that's doing what we know God wants us to do. How many times in our lives do we know that we should be doing this or we know that we should be doing that? And we make a willful decision not to do it. You know you should go tell that person about Jesus Christ, and yet we make a willful decision. Ah, that's too embarrassing, or ah, I'm too shy, or I can't do that, or that's just not me. And we willfully decide we're not going to tell that person about Jesus Christ. I know I should be involved in this ministry, or I know I should be doing that, and well, I just, I got too much stuff going on right now, and we willfully decide we're not going to do it. And there are so many things that we do that are sins of omission. Things that we should be doing that for whatever reason we don't. We 
comes to living perfectly righteous, and we've all missed the mark, we've all sinned. All that sin has come short of the glory of God, he says. And I've used that illustration for you many times of trying to jump across the Grand Canyon. It doesn't matter how strong you are, how athletic you are, you're not making it across the Grand Canyon. We all fall short of that mark. And the only way to get across the Grand Canyon is for there to be a bridge that we can drive across. And that is exactly true of heaven. We can't do enough works to get there on our own. Jesus Christ built that bridge when he died on Calvary. We can only get to heaven by accepting what he's done to get us there. For by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works. Let's get an anxious soul. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, not by the works of righteousness which we have done. According to his mercy, he saved us. Now listen, we try to live right. We try to do right. We try to be good to people. But those works of righteousness don't get us to heaven. The Bible says in Isaiah that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Oh, don't be rag ought to be able to get into heaven, right? No. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and not by works of righteousness. So James chapter 5 and verse 17 reminds us that there are not only sins that we commit by doing the wrong thing, but by not doing the right thing. Sorry, James chapter 4, verse 17. The trap that we fall into so often is that people sit in fear and invitation to come to Jesus Christ. And they know they should. Without making a decision. They come back and they hear that message again and they leave without making a decision. They come back, they hear that call, but again they refuse. I'm telling you what happens. The time <coughs> comes when it gets easier and easier to reject Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. Dude, the heart is so hard in the word of gospel that not doing what is the right thing to do, they can no longer even hear that call, even though they attend the church every Sunday. Hearts become so hardened in their ways they become almost he says this in Psalm 95 and verse 7. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He actually mentioned this in his message the other night. The way of salvation is so easy. It's so simple. It's so simple that even a child can understand it. I was five years old when I accepted Jesus Christ. I didn't know everything. Was to know about the Bible at that point. I was not a theologian. I'm not even a theologian now, but I certainly wasn't a theologian at five years old. I didn't have it all figured out. I didn't have all the doctrines of, you know, soteriology and eschatology and all of those things. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know those were even real words when I was five years old. In fact, by the time I was five, I probably never even heard of those words. I heard the message of the gospel. I realized I was a sinner and I needed a Jesus Christ, as a simple age of five years old, came into my heart and saved me. We've done that for so many of you here. And yet, there are probably some that are still rejecting the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may be among those that think there's an adequate amount of time to accept Jesus Christ. You may be among those that think, oh, I've got plenty of time to get right with God. I'm saved, I'm on the way to heaven, and there's plenty of time for me to get right with God. Let me tell you two quick stories of something that happened when I was. I lived back in Indiana, and we're talking about starting a bus ministry. I worked in a bus ministry in Indiana for 15 years. And I remember very plainly, of course, now I'm a chaplain. I see death all the time. But two stories that stick out to me, and one of them was a, a young boy that we used to pick up on the bus almost every Sunday and bring him to church. He and his sister. They would get on that church bus, and they'd come, and they'd be there for 
that little boy at about seven years old accepted Jesus Christ as the Savior. We lived up in Indiana, right next to Gary, Indiana. And that's right on the lake, right on Lake Michigan. Huge lake. People would go down there and swim. And he wanted to go down there with his sister one day. And his mom said, you cannot go. Your sister and her friends are older. You're too young. You know what about an adult. He decided he wouldn't go anymore. At eight years old, he drowned in Lake Michigan. There was a huge funeral for him and everything else. But eight years old, a tiny little cat just sitting up in the front of that church. He never thought at eight years old that he was going to take his life, right? Another young man, 23 years old, the uncle of some of the kids that we picked up and brought to church. So many times I invited that man out to church. So many times I sat down and tried to give him the message of the gospel. He was friendly, he was nice. He never accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. In the middle of the night, he had an asthma attack in his bedroom. Nobody could around to know that he was having an asthma attack. He couldn't get to his inhaler. The next morning, they took his body out of that room and put it in the grave. He never thought. Tell you many, many, many more People who thought they had time to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Many, many stories of people who thought they had time to get right with God and to live for God and to serve God. They made a mistake that James tells us in James chapter 4. Don't fall into that foolish tendency of thinking you have time. Right. Life is unpredictable. The next hour could be your last. Right. Let me tell you this. Don't leave this morning without knowing Jesus Christ is your Savior. Don't leave this morning without getting the thing right with God that he's convicting you about in your life. Because you may not have another hour to get those things right. right. You may not have another hour to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you avoid the tendency to make plans without God. If you avoid the tendency to forget that life is unpredictable. We have to avoid the tendency, as James tells us, to boast in our plans. We have to avoid the tendency to refuse God's grace. God is not willing that any should perish. He's willing that all should perish. God's will is for each of us to live for Him. Avoid the tendency to refuse that. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you that every single person in this room this morning has an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. There are some that are outside of these walls this morning that may not have an opportunity. For those in this community, shame on us for not getting the message of the gospel. But every single person in this room this morning has an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. I pray that there would not be one. I pray also that there's not one person in this building that walks out of here 
knowing that they're on their way to heaven, also knowing that they're living in sin, knowing that they're doing things that they should not be, knowing that they're not doing things that they should be. I pray that you'd help us to walk out of here clean before you. That where decisions need to be made, I pray that you give us the strength and the courage to make them. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you